Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back to Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me, Caroline Foran. This week on the show, I'm thrilled to finally have had the chance to sit down with Niall Breslin, known to everyone as Brezzy. He is the creator of the Where Is My Mind podcast, author of several books, all-round hero of mental health um, in Ireland, and is having such a profound impact on how we look after ourselves and even at a government and a school level, what we can do to make sure that we're managing our anxiety and, and feeling as well as we can be. He joined me to have a brilliant chat about his own experience of anxiety, where it all started for him, when it came to a head, what changed for him when he began to address it. And then we obviously talk about the wider issue of of how he can take what he's learned and his coping mechanisms and help the rest of us. Um, So enjoy, as always. Thank you so much for subscribing. If you've signed up to the Patreon page, I really appreciate it. And yeah, enjoy. Thank you so much. Finally managed to pin down the man himself, Brezzy, to talk about anxiety on Owning It, the Anxiety podcast. People have been requesting that we have this chat for so long and you've been so unbelievably busy with your own Where Is My Mind podcast and everything else that you do for the world of mental health. So uh, congratulations on all that. Thank you. And thank you for making the time for me this morning. My pleasure. I listened to, well, I've listened to a good few of your episodes, but last night I did a 20 minute uh, body scan. Mm -hmm. It just made me realise that I am a crisis meditator and I Mm. kind of only go to it when I really am in desperate need. And actually yesterday I just was like, you know, I'm just going to do this. And I got so much more from it just by Mm. doing it, you know, on the regular. Um, And then my phone rang in the middle of it and I ate the head off my husband. I was like, I'm fucking meditating. (laughs) And he's like, I can see it's really working for you. Well, the thing about it is, it's funny because when I first put the... uh, the meditations attached to the podcast, I kind of, I because I, I, I'm new to the world of podcasting, I don't know, really didn't really know how it worked. And I said, I'll, I'll listen back to make sure it's all running well. And then this big ad came in the middle of my body scan. I went, what the oh, f- no. fuck? Because <laughs> you're scared of the living shit out of people. Yeah. And actually doesn't settle them. Because uh, then what happens is you have this waiting for that to happen again. And, you you know, your whole Olympic system kicks off and you're, and you're really unsettled then for the next 20 minutes. But the thing about meditation is there's always this perception that it's meant to be there to relax you. And it's about relaxation. But really, mindfulness meditation, that's just a side effect of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what mindfulness meditation really is, is to is to teach you how to become hyper and self-aware of 
what in your environment nourishes you, what depletes you. Uh, it allows you to sit with things that can be uncomfortable. And that's a, that's a superpower in mm-hmm. this world, being able to sit with stuff you'd rather run from. And we've been conditioned to run from anything that we're uncomfortable with. And that at the very crux for me is is where mindfulness becomes a different entity mm. altogether. And we often refer to some of the mindfulness that's out there at the moment as Mac mindfulness. As it's, it's packaged for the Western person, you know, so they can they can actually they can consume it and they go, well, I, uh, you know, and then they put rules to it and they go, I have to do this mm. every straight away. The golden rule of meditation, two golden rules that I stick by are non-judgment, non-striving. Mm. You're not trying to get anywhere here. You're not trying to achieve anything. There's no enlightenment floating, listening to whale music. And it isn't that. And when you set all these kind of, this is what has to happen if I sit down to meditate, you genuinely get disappointed and you get demotivated and mm-hmm. you stop doing it. Um, but that, people it, take it and they, they apply it to their to-do list like everything else and they think of it something to tick off and something to measure success by. Mm-hmm. And for me, like that was a big thing I observed with the whole wellness industry, which was what started out as something for, to make us more aware and, you know, more um, self-compassionate, more forgiving of ourselves and to go easier on ourselves became another thing to almost beat ourselves up about if we, how well are we and how much are we looking after ourselves mm-hmm. and how much time are we making? And like for a lot of people, I think who just approach it that way, like the antidote kind of came part of the problem, became mm-hmm. another thing to succeed at. And that's just not the point. No. Um, and I think the biggest thing in this whole space and the most powerful thing in the world that we really underestimate is language mm-hmm. and how we frame things. And in the 90s, uh, we commodified fitness in terms of like we started telling people to get abs if they bought an ab machine off some infomercial and the lads bought these abs and did it for five minutes a day and lo and behold, they didn't get abs mm-hmm. and all of a this is a load of shit. We're doing the same to this space. I call it the commodification of cam. And mm. um, what we've done is we are selling calmness as something that's easy to achieve. And it absolutely isn't. Not in this world. Not in this world. Uh, and our brains weren't designed for it. Uh, and this is something we have to keep an eye on. And words like resilience, for example, I don't like that word because it, either, it kind of implies either you have it or you don't. Mm-hmm. I like flexibility, psychological mm-hmm. flexibility, the fact that the capacity to bend and, and move with the inevitability and horseshit that we all have to deal with and the great stuff we have to deal with. But this idea of resilience either means you break or you don't break. Mm-hmm. And it's very rigid sounding. And that to me is language. And then the word even mental health is starting to kind of, to me is like, it, it, it kind of is far too broad for one. And also it takes in many different layers, including psychiatric issues. It takes in general anxiety issues, uh, having a shit week issues. Yeah, it's, just like it, overwhelmed. It's just so broad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, it's about, it, I call it humaning. Mm-hmm. If you're a human, uh, you experience shit days. You experience good days. You experience anxious days. Um, and the reality is we've never been given the tools to deal with this this inevitable of this mm-hmm. inevitably of being a human, and if you look at the Buddha psychologies, which is where really where my studies got rooted, and where they really changed my perception of how we're dealing with this. Uh, now I'm not a Buddhist, uh, but I absolutely believe in their psychologies. I think they're really, uh, really profound. And the noble truths of Buddhism, the four noble truths, the first noble truth of Buddhism is that suffering is an inevitable part of it being human. Mm-hmm. You can't escape it. No matter who you are, no one on earth escapes it. Grief, stress, financial issues, relationship issues, everyone listening to this, every one of you, and if you haven't, you're lying, um, have experienced it. And the second noble truth is where does that come from? And generally, most of our suffering comes from attachment and aversion. Attached to having things a certain way all the time. And the only guarantee in the world is the world has changed. 
and aversion to not feeling certain things, even though they're inevitable. So we fight against them and pull against them all the time. And by pulling against them, that's where an awful lot of our pain happens, our obsessive behaviour, our addictions, our, 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 you know, our anxieties, our, 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 our mood disorders. It's because we start pulling against this stuff and it's not our fault because we've also created a societal stigma that doesn't let us deal with this. And so we've two things happening here. We've got our basic human want to feel a certain way even though we can't and we have society telling us we should feel a certain way all the time and it's not even about wellness it's literally about if we can teach people from an early age that you can't have every fucking thing you want and the Buddha calls it the unquenchable thirst Mm -hmm. you you just can't and he also calls the 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 double arrow of, of suffering the first arrow is the inevitable suffering we all faced shit relationships money problems grief and most pretty much every human has the capacity to deal with that mm-hmm. what we don't have the capacity to deal with is the second arrow of suffering that we always fire at ourselves it's always our fault yeah. it's always our fault we're not good enough we didn't do good enough and we never look at culture and our environment and go actually you know what you're being a big massive fucking pain in my hole and you're putting me overwhelming me every day mm. and you're expecting so much from me and you haven't even given me the tools to deal with it you know and that's the reality it's about being human yeah you certainly have the tools today um, I know you're always adding to your arsenal of tools and we never we never stop adding to it never stop learning but there was a time in your life when you mentioned earlier like depleting activities and that's you got to the point where your life was just full of depletion and there was not enough gas going back in your tank mm-hmm. take me back to that point was it was it one specific thing was it a lot of stress at one time where where do you root your experience of or your that breaking point that you got to uh, I've long given up the need to find where that came from. Okay. Uh, I spent a lot of my life uh, trying to figure out why. And then I made the realisation it doesn't matter. Now, this is very important for me to say because this is very subjective. There's many people listening to this who would have experienced traumas, who experienced very difficult childhoods and abuse yeah. and stuff like that. And in my case, I looked for stuff. To be but I had an on. incredible childhood. Yeah, me too. I have amazing parents. Uh, amazing family, a beautiful family that I'm very close to and I'm very lucky for that. Um, I wrote in the book, and this is, this is hard for people to hear, but I actually actively used to hope something bad happened so I could justify it. Um, and that's where the perspective conversation comes in. Now, perspective doesn't have a part to play in this conversation if it's been shoved down your face. Mm-hmm. If you find that yourself really organically, it's really powerful. But if you have to be shoved an inspirational meme down your face every five seconds when you're in the midst of darkness, it isn't helpful. And people who do that, I know you're probably trying to help, but it isn't helpful because guilt is not as if you have enough to be dealing with. For me, I was always a worrier. Mm -hmm. I was always incredibly, my worry was always about other people. What people Um, think of you or? No, of other people I love. Yeah. And if they're okay. Um, and I used to take that on an awful lot and I had this kind of uncontrollable empathy towards other people um, and I think a lot of people in my family have that and a lot of them struggle with that too We I worry about other people a lot and the thing about that is I remember sitting with a therapist years ago and said would you rather be like that or not have any feelings for other people I went well actually I'd much rather feel something Yeah. Uh, but I'd, know, I'd love to know how to deal with it and that was one of my, one of, I suppose, the situations that had me feeling that way a lot. The other thing was, I, I remember going to Israel with my father. Um, he was in the United Nations. Um, I was speaking in America last year, last 
week and I said he was in the Irish Army and they think they, I think they thought I said the IRA. <laughs> so I had to kind of the Irish Defence Forces, yeah, I should have said. Not the same thing. Uh, not the same thing. And I went to Israel, I lived there for a number of months with my family and it was my first time to realise that we're not safe. That there is, that like, you know, Mullingar was the centre of the earth for me yeah. and I never realised the world existed outside it. And then I realised, my God, the world is very vulnerable, it's very fragile. Uh, there was a war going on three, four miles up the road from us. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember in, in Israel and in Lebanon, there was no conflict for a number of years, but the, the day the Breslin's land in Tel Aviv literally kicks off. And the whole, I remember waking up in the middle of the night and the, the whole house shaking oh from, you know, missiles falling three, four miles away. And my sister was in the kibbutz on the border. And I was just thinking, is she okay? Okay, so this is a worry much bigger than you. It goes beyond your family even to it's it's it's, it's a worry of it's a worry of dying. You know, I know yeah. it sounds like a weird thing to say, but like you're, you you don't know how. My dad used to always say, "I wouldn't have brought you here if you weren't safe." Yeah, he knew we were safe, and most of the conflict was up on the border. And the Israeli IDF were the most, I suppose, one of the biggest armies in the world, and they were fighting like the Hezbollah. And so he would say, "Like, there's no way." you have to worry. The missiles that are being fired, the shells will never, they're too far away. But you'd hear the, the other thing I used to think about is like you'd hear the the Israeli jets going over your head and they'd go up and they'd shell uh, Lebanon. And then I, I used to go up to Lebanon t- t- every week with my dad and they were based in a place called Na- uh, Nakora which, and we'd go in there and then I'd meet the Lebanese and I'd meet the people and I'm like, holy shit, they're getting bombed. Mm. Uh, and then I started worrying about them. Okay, so it and kind of personalises what we see on the news for you. Exactly. And I, I think we've learned to stop doing that to ourselves because we've had to desensitise ourselves because the news, because the media, because social media keep exposing us to such difficult imagery and yeah. such difficult language that we as humans have completely understandably started to desensitise ourselves. And by doing that, we start to lose the things that make us human, mm. our empathy for others, our gratitude, our compassion. And we start worrying about those around us, which is also a mode of self-preservation. We've just come through an absolute shitstorm of a recession where many, many families in this country are still absolutely reeling from it. And I'm not talking economically, I'm talking humanly. I'm talking people who've lost lives or husbands or wives because they couldn't deal with the, the difficulty of recession. And we've just come through it. And I just feel that, you know, a lot of people have moved to that mode of, I just need to look after my family. Mm. And I totally, I totally get that. I totally understand that. But that's not how communities work. Yeah. That is not how society works. We need to keep an eye out for each other. And what we've done is we fragmented and fragmented and fragmented. And that suits politics. Mm-hmm. It suits politics because then politicians can go, right, we have two binary groups. Let's just aim at that group and isolate the other group. And maybe we'll get in. And that's what happened in America. That's what's happening in the UK. Luckily, Ireland's holding its shit together somehow. Um, but... You know, I, even even recently when you saw kind of slight movements towards kind of tiny little movements to the alt-right, we went, fuck off. Mm-hmm. We've had enough of that shit. We have generations of, the, of this kind of division in Ireland not having it. And we kind of nipped it in the bud. But the, the potential is there. Mm-hmm. And we need to watch, watch ourselves because with mindfulness, the one, uh, the one criticism I have of it sometimes is it can become quite insular. You can become quite internal looking and you can just look at yourself and how you feel and you start to stop seeing society you cannot be mindful if you're not political I truly believe that I th- you have to care of what's going on in your society and what's happening you can't just turn in on yourself mm-hmm. uh, it's often called spiritual bypassing John Wellwood's work would, okay. is amazing in that area 
for the purposes of this podcast, I'm going to make you turn in on yourself a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> and go back to that point when you started to, okay, there was no definitive, um, you know, cause or trigger or whatever. Like me, it was just a case of maybe a predisposition towards um, an anxious brain, worry, a couple of different things that are all very normal that culminated in this uh, above average stress response for you. And also it was at a time when I guess your environment wasn't talking about mental health. It wasn't a thing. Was there a moment for you where you thought, I'm going to I'm going to show my vulnerability. I'm going to open up about this because I've no other choice because it will help me. Like, what was the turning point for you when you... The turning point for me was... Now, I think my anxiety turned into quite a a rampant panic disorder. Okay. To the point that I was experiencing, you know, sometimes in the height of it, a couple of panic attacks a day. Yeah. And I knew that... I knew that wasn't right. I knew that was... Something wasn't right there um, because... And the reality is panic attacks are incredibly normal. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people experience them. They're terrifying. They're horrible. You believe you're dying. No one's ever died from one. Mm-hmm. And my dad used to always say that. I said, do you ever say that to me when I'm having one, dad? I'll kill you just for clarity. But for me, the point was um, I was doing The Voice and I had a panic attack before a live show. It was quite a severe one. And I was very sick and I lost all energy, all clarity and I had to go in front of, I don't know, you know, half a million people yeah. on TV uh, on a primetime TV show and pretend it was OK. And and that was your whole career, though, was always, I guess, front facing. So there was this um, disconnect between what you were really feeling. And, you know, for most of us, it's, it's what what you put out there and how you perceived and how you actually feeling. So that was this like cognitive dissonance absolutely. for you. And also this was the point where, unfortunately, those lines now crossed yeah. because now I had to go on TV in this state. I managed to pull myself together somehow. I, like I was thinking like 20 past six, ringing Ann Doyle, telling her can you chill out for 20 minutes in the news till I get my shit together. But that's just not the reality. You're on a half six, regardless of whether your head's down the toilet puking because you're having a panic attack or, or not. Is that how visceral they were for you? Yeah. They were immensely, immensely physical. Mm-hmm. Um, they hurt, to be honest with you. They were quite, the bad ones were <clears throat> the point where, you know, I would collapse with them. Um, and it was always manifested in my breath. My mm-hmm. breath was always the first kind of place to go. Uh, but, you know, now understanding and I've studied it for so many years, I understand what was happening and mm-hmm. my central nervous system was going into lockdown and it was going into survival mode, really. And but you wouldn't have had a clue at the time. I mean, it would have been terrifying. That no one knew what they were. Even, OK, even if you can say to yourself, like, I'm not dying, which for me was never, it was never the fear, am I going to die? For me, it was like the fact that you're capable of having this mm-hmm. happen to you just because of your mental state. Yeah. And I think the fear of most people have of panic attacks is not of them as when they'll happen. Yeah. And for me, I was going, if this happens on TV, there's no disguising this. And it's not subtle. It wasn't subtle mm-hmm. with me. Now, I haven't had them in five or six years, but it wasn't subtle for me. So if it happened on TV, I was just kind of glad it happened before I went out. And I did the show and I came back to my hotel and I, I said, that's it now. I'm done with hiding this because I realised at that point mm. that all my energy was going into disguising it. Yeah. And I'd spent so many years, I mean, 14, 15, as a professional athlete, mm-hmm. as a musician, as TV, I'd gone through many different things pretending this wasn't part of me. Yeah. And was that because you wanted, you, like it was a sort of self-preservation thing, you didn't want to put it out there or did you feel it wouldn't be well received or what? It wouldn't. The thing about it is, it's like absolutely under no circumstances was I going to say it as a professional rugby player. Um, and one of my regrets is I never did in the end tell my coaches why I had to retire 
because I know the player. You no, know, I know many players who've struggled, and I actually know one player who played with me with the Irish under twenty ones that died by suicide. And I, I, I kind of feel like if I had said something, maybe something could have changed. But the reality was, it was beyond suffocating back then. That was two thousand and two, two thousand and three when I retired. And it was absolutely not on the agenda. Nobody was mentioning this. And no. like we were still at that, oh, he, he's taken to the bed bullshit. Yeah. We were still at that place yeah. uh, in the early noughties. And then when I got into music, I was able to disguise it because I was able to drink alcohol. I was able to, you know, play the whole music card on the road. But it really wasn't, it wasn't functioning. It wasn't functional. Uh, I was losing hair, stuff like that really kind wow. of physical stuff and I, um, I, was there anyone in your life you were talking to at that point did you uh, have my any my mother outlet? knew like okay. my, my family knew I was definitely uh, incredibly you know and I, I'd have conversations with my mother about it but the big big issue with me is also now you have to understand we weren't talking about it but also no one knew what it was there was yeah. no language around yeah. it uh, it was. I was in a. I used to say I was in a Christian brother school in the nineties. It used to feel like I was possessed. That's a good way to describe it. It felt like there was something yeah. living in my stomach all the time. God, that's so and funny. I like literally just was saying is for me. I I thought of the anxiety that affected me as like literally paranormal activity. You know that mm-hmm. scene where she gets dragged down the staircase. Yeah. I'm like this is what's happening to me, and I'm so not in control, and I need to wait for it to just decide to fuck off. That's when how you don't have language and education. Of course your brain can go to all yeah. different places because your imagination is immensely powerful. Your subconscious is even more powerful. Mm. And you can it can bring you places where we, we can really prolong or make this worse. And that's why education and language is crucial here. We need to tell young people. We have to tell. We This report came out just, I was reading it, Jigsaw do incredible work and this did a research with UCD, psychology department. And it's where I studied and that's, that research team are amazing. And they came out with this like and it's incredible research but lo and behold loads of fucking young people are struggling massively with anxiety we've been saying this for fucking six years now guys get on it yeah sort this shit out this is and the thing about it is I'm not the person who just starts throwing stones at government and say fix it I'll go with you and we'll, we'll bring yeah I mean we'll, you're willing to uh, get active and do something about the, it you're not just talking well Lost for Life my charity yeah. organisation are doing that we've built a Netflix model for schools that we're now piloting in all schools which Incredible. is mental health content for young people by young people but we, we can't be creating this. I pay, you pay 50 odd percent tax like most people listening to this. We need to treat our citizens better. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that starts with our youth. They're fucking drowning. They are in a world where their brain and you talk to these research teams and these psychologists and these neuroscientists and they'll tell you they cannot deal with this stuff. We cannot keep doing this. I got through it. I got through it also because I had an incredible family and I had support systems and I, I suppose to a point I had a relative understanding what was going on in my head. But we have an epidemic here, like an absolute epidemic. Mm-hmm. And we have a, an, like this isn't political. See, we can turn this shit political really quickly and people go, oh, he's talking. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about people. And the problem being is we don't have systems of support for young people. We have a reactive model that's terrible, that, that acts at points of crisis. crisis so when the yeah. person actually gets to that place, then we try to fix or yeah. help them, which at that point is often a very difficult fight back financially, economically and personally. Mm-hmm. Um, our preventative models, and we're doing little bits and pieces, but still I look and see our health budget and our mental health budget is only 6% of our health budget. I still see that 75% of suicides in this country are male. I still see that we have the highest, uh, literally the massive highest incidence of uh, mental health issues in Europe. And I still watch, I was about a couple of months ago, a couple of weeks ago, there was a big argument, a news talk about taking history off the curriculum. 
and people were losing yeah. their shit about I remember. it. Oh my God. I love history now, to be honest with you. I, I think it should stay where it is. It's an incredible, I think history should be different. I don't think you should just, I think you should look at evolution. Mm-hmm. You should look at all these things, but it's an incredibly important subject to know where we came from. But I'd love to see the same passion for for putting emotional intelligence, emotional literacy, mm-hmm. digital literacy, all these things that need to be taught to young people. Because at the end of the day, the only people showing true leadership in this world at the moment are young people. Yeah. And we're isolating them and we're calling them snowflakes. Stop fucking labelling young people. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. What changed for you when you decided to not keep it all inside anymore? Um, I just started telling people and the reaction I thought I got wasn't the reaction I got. What were you expecting? Uh, I expected to lose my job was my first instinct with um, with TV, I suppose, and entertainment and the kind of work I do. Um, I absolutely didn't. I only received 100% support from everybody. My friends, they all said that made sense. Yeah. So there was an element of, thank God you're saying it now. Um, saying it publicly was the big one. And did you feel a responsibility to do that because of your position in? No, I, I, I another conversation with my mother, and it was like if someone had said something when you were fifteen, would it have changed anything? And mm. I went, yeah, of course it would have. Yeah. The only education I got at fifteen was when I asked my teacher why Kurt Cobain died, and he threw a piece of chalk at me and told me to shut my mouth. So that was my mental health education. Um, what I wanted to do was not to tell people what to do or how to you know, get, you know, deal with it. I wanted them to understand and give them the language so they could sit down with their mum or dad or whoever, the guardian, and say, I think I'm experiencing something and I'm struggling with it and actually have a language to say it. Because once again, I keep going back to language. Yeah, it's, it's so crucial. Yeah. Um, and things like dialectal behavioural therapy, if you look into that and the power of language to actually dictate yeah. our mood. And self-talk. Or self-talk, and all this stuff. Um, because I always look at when we're born we have a lovely perfect sense of self we like shit ourselves and tell other people to clean it up <laughs> our hands are wondrous our hands are like the greatest discovery since penicillin we're, mm-hmm. everything's amazing and then as soon as we start discovering language we can label ourselves mm-hmm. and we start labelling ourselves and we label other people I'm not good enough I'm ugly I'm this I'm that that person's that and that labelling once you label someone it's bloody hard to shake it so I'm, I'll give you an example even in, in sport a goalkeeper makes a mistake oh he's, he's he's a lazy bollocks now you put that label on him it's very hard to get rid of that that's your label for him now mm-hmm. and once you put that label or if a media puts a label on someone it's very hard to shake it because people just go well, that's it I'm going to go with that and it's the same with yourself so if you start labelling yourself and you habitually do that all the time consistently your brain starts buying into it and starts mm-hmm. believing it uh, in the same way you know you can you can create better ways of thinking about yourself but these are things we need to teach Educate, educate, educate. It is not rocket science here. Um, We're still teaching the same stuff generally. And there's some schools doing amazing work. Is it systematic? No. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. 
only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. Did did much of the anxiety or any of it um, lift for you just by virtue of the fact that you were telling people? Yep. And but at that point, I mean, I know this is a long time ago, and at this point, you've you're so involved in in everything you say there, but trying to make it part of the system and the way we're brought up and the way we're educated. But at that point, you know, were you when you put it out there, were you still trying to figure out? Okay, I, I want people to know that it's okay, but I also don't really know what I'm dealing with or how to get myself. I've done the first part, I've I've addressed it, but I don't know how to kind of yeah so help myself now. I think society is at that place now. Society is at the place where we've created wonderful awareness. Uh, we had Mental Health Week last month and everyone was saying, oh, it's great to talk. Okay, okay, my head is now, the awareness wheel is moving and it's still going to take time. We're going to have to, a lot of stigma still exists, especially so uh, in systems like, like for example, first responders, like the like guards and stuff like that. They don't have adequate supports. They're there, but they won't use them because they're afraid that if you use them, they mightn't get promoted. Or if they want to join the armed response unit, they mm-hmm. won't be given guns. Like, oh, they wouldn't so be reliable you see, there's that there, still yeah. stigma still there. So, I'm not this kind of everything's great. There's a lot of work to do here, yeah. guys. But we can fast forward it. We need to. You see all these organisations and corporate going. We got to do wellness. We got to do wellness. Don't rush it. You wouldn't rush. <laughs> Slap any on a other. talk at the yeah. end of the day and there's, keep the pressure piling and then on. You feck off and there's no support system. In business, you wouldn't rush any other business development stuff. So why would you rush this or, or, or not have a strategy for? It? But back to the awareness thing. The awareness is great. It's important, and I'm glad it's moving. We now have to turn our heads to systems the support systems and the preventative models and a better reactive model when people do get caught and how we can help them. Uh, We now have to go hard at that. But the reality is this stuff is not politically expedient. People do not vote on this. And it's um, Carville, the Bill Clinton uh, political campaign manager, when Bill Clinton was going for for, um, power or for presidency, there was lots of social issues in, in America and Bush, he was going up against Bush and Carville just said, it's the economy stupid. It's the, don't fucking mention anything else because no one votes on anything else. When mm-hmm. it comes down to it, it's the economy. Now Ireland, all you're going to hear in this next election, you can see it subtly now, and, now, and this isn't, once again, I'm no political align, uh, alignings at all, but you can see the subtle messaging come from government about unemployment. And unemployment is low and it's great. Uh, you can see the subtle, our GDP, our GDP, and you can see all these economic. Now, my degree is in economics. I understand how it works. I'm fairly versed in it. I also am very versed in how it's measured and how at times you can turn those measurements into something a bit more glorified than they actually are, especially in an, in an election cycle. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're starting to see now. The reality is I don't remember Ireland having more social issues than we have at the moment. Uh, homelessness, uh, health, health, health issues in our health system. Um, we have massive issues within within our systems that we're not talking about because I've been told this many times it doesn't get votes yeah so they'll they'll shy away from it the last uh, political leadership campaign no one mentioned mental health mm-hmm. yeah so we have to try so I don't I don't lobby government I lobby people I want people to vote on this stuff yeah I think for a lot of people listening um, who are only just getting to the point now of saying, actually, maybe it is anxiety that I've been dealing with. They're focused on the individual, whereas you're uh, 
further along the line in that you're concerned with the wider picture and that you know where where you can actually affect change um but while we can't while we can't necessarily all do something about that or while we're waiting for those things to happen we have to focus in on mm-hmm. how can we make ourselves yeah. better in in the moment so what for you was the most significant thing that you did or tool that you had from that dark, dark point that got you to a point where you say, no, you haven't had a panic attack in five or six years. What did you do about the anxiety that you you were feeling? And did you did you remove yourself from situations that you thought were unhelpful? What, what did you do? Many different layers to what I had to do. Um, I've had, and I feel very lucky that I've had years of therapy and I've been able to afford therapy. Many people aren't. Like talking um, therapy, CBT? Talking therapy. Um, Gestalt psychology was a very important kind of discovery for me um, and also just talking um, but I went through CBT I did um, ACT which is acceptance commitment therapy after I've tried them all I'm a bit of a whore for therapy uh, <laughs> and the thing about it was was it wasn't it wasn't any particular therapy that kind of changed everything for me it was the understanding of how my brain was working and functioning yeah the um, education piece was yeah, half the battle. Really was important. The first thing I had to do was take time off work. Yeah. Uh, and I took time off work and I decided to go and really invest in my head. Now, I feel very l- lucky that I could do that. I don't have kids. I don't think um, <laughs> I don't have a mortgage. I have no responsibilities. Call I was in able if you to think just, that you're... Yeah, don't call in. <laughs> six foot six, 13 year old calls in the door one day. Um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of started to really educate myself in how my brain was functioning. And then I went back to education. And then, I mean, I'll be honest, mindfulness was the the, the key yeah. to it all um, because it actually glued all the other stuff together. It allowed me, what mindfulness really taught me to do was to sit down with the stuff that I hated and sit with it and sit with it and sit with it until I broke it. Now, that's me. That's my subjective sitting with with stuff. Many people have been, as I said, through traumas and they need loads of support for that. And sometimes mindfulness might be the right thing for them to do. Mm. Maybe they need some more psychological support first. This is why good health professionals in this space can be really helpful, because Mm -hmm. if they're really good at what they do, they see everybody differently and they treat everybody and they look at their personal needs and what they have gone through and what they need to do. But for me, mindfulness became that first kind of right. I can sit with this. Did it help you be less afraid of the fear? Uh, no, what it did, is it, it, it disenfranchised the fear. The fear is still there. It still exists, but it doesn't have that power over me anymore. And that's the difference. I changed my relationship with it. You can't get rid of this stuff. Like if you look at psychotherapy, the third, the, the first wave, wave of psychotherapy was Freud. Uh, it all based around our behaviour dictates our mood. Second, Adler. Uh, uh, yeah, and then second behaviour, second psychotherapy wave of psychotherapy was CBT, cognitive. Mm-hmm. Third wave was like the idea around mindfulness and ACT and dialectal behavioural therapy. And what they were saying, the third wave was kind of going, guys, this stuff doesn't just go away into the corner of your brain and never happen again. Yeah. But you can change your relationship with it. And that takes time and it takes work and it takes bravery. Um, and it takes an open mind. But the other thing is, is I have to say this really importantly. I've, I, I, I've gone through a few therapists. I didn't like my first one. And not that I didn't like them. They were, they, they kept trying to get down to why. Like and, I'm trying to right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I didn't care. I know. I actually really let that go a long time ago. And you wanted just solutions or coping mechanisms because you understood, well, this is my situation now. This is what my brain is functioning like. What am I going to do about it? I don't think the why would have changed anything for me. Yeah. It wasn't going to let me, like what happened was that like, I don't look like that anymore. Like I look at like genuinely because, because of my training and mindfulness and my work there, 
I've become so relatively, as much as I can, personally present moment orientated where mm-hmm. if I get caught up what happened to me what happened to me why did that happen why did that happen it can consume you um, and I, I really didn't think that was going to be the thing that actually made this better anyway mm. um, and if I keep consistently thinking about how something's going to turn out that's, that's my trigger Yeah. so my triggers are I realise my triggers are overly ruminating thinking too much about what happened and thinking about too much of what's going to happen. And then that made utter sense to me. How do I stop that? How do I become more? And it's not that you can get rid of it all together. No. But how can I spend more of my time being present with people? And that's the big thing that we talked about in Where's My Mind is there's a war for our attention. There is an absolute mm. war for our... Your attention is worth shitloads of money. So much money. And the thing about it is there's an absolute war for it and there's people getting more and more desperate to get your attention. The headlines are getting more desperate. And they're trying to play off that idea that we actually like that toxic shit. And we do. We have a negativity bias, as I talk about. Yeah. Um, and what happens is when you you don't own your attention, you cannot place it on the people you love. So when you're with them, you ain't there. And yeah. that causes relationship issues, stress, guilt. So my biggest advice to people listening is find those people that hold you up when the shit hits the fan and give them all your fucking presents as mm-hmm. much as you can. Stop giving it the candy crush. Stop giving <laughs> it the Instagram. Stop giving it the shit that when you're 95 years of age won't matter. Mm. This is the stuff that matters. And I think that that really helps you because we know we, we everyone listening to this knows there's somebody, even if it's just one person in their life that they can sit in a room with for an hour and not have to talk and feel uncomfortable with mm-hmm. that make them happy. Weld yourself to those legs. They're, they're essential to your brain. Yeah. And that's the one thing out of all this work I've done. I've come back to the same conclusion. Our environment has a profound impact on how we feel and how we act and how we behave. And if you can find environments, you can't be in a perfect environment all the time. But if you can find one that really, 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 really resonates with you, try and spend as much time in that as you can and try and give that environment as much presence as you can. What is your ideal environment these days? Um, I have many. I'm lucky. I have many. I I enjoy performing. I really enjoy performing. Which I is think funny because for a lot of people that would seem to... Scare the shit out of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now that's where I'm most comfortable. Okay, so uh, whether you're performing with the band or whether you're on stage doing mental like, health talks. Well, it's, I like the pod, live podcast yeah. stuff. I love educating. Um I, I I find meditation, you see this thing with meditation as well, we always feel we have to be in a serene environment. We have no. to be in this perfect, you can't be, we live in chaos. We live, I live in the city, you live in the city. You know, you, you've got to be able to find peace where it doesn't exist. And I find, I find lovely natural moments in my day where I just, I, I naturally start meditating. And when I go, t- tonight at seven o'clock, I'm going to sit down and meditate for half an hour. It's, I hate it. Yeah. But if I find myself having 20 minutes and there's no one around, I'm like, right. Everyone can go fuck themselves now for 20 minutes. <laughs> Do you find that you have to um, acquaint yourself again with the idea of boredom sometimes? Like, you know, if you're in a queue for a coffee or whatever, or, or you're waiting for someone to come and meet you and you pick up the phone. I'm trying now to take those moments as sort of a call to action to be like, okay, just sit with this for now. Like, breathe. Mm-hmm. We don't always, I guess it's like, a, it's all like a fear of what do we look like if we're sitting there, like looking around like a fucking weirdo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, you know, it's actually, I remember I did that going to the airport. Um, I decided I was going away for my 30th and I was going to Paris. And I said, you know what, I'm going to leave my phone at home and just try and actually see Paris and I went we were in the airport and Barry and my husband went to get a drink and um, and, and I went straight away being like oh I don't have the phone oh shit yeah. so I was just sitting there like and everyone else not a single person you had their head up take a picture of your passport and your train ticket to <laughs> well tell I never where you do going. that anyway because I hate that kind of fucking shit on social media um, but it was like oh wow I 
time kind of slowed down. I was aware of things I hadn't been aware of. and But I kind of had to put those block boundaries in place in order for me. So sometimes I have to turn my phone off and put it away. Mm. Like, what's your approach with social media and the phone these days? Because it's, you know, I know it's a big driver of anxiety and this constant connectedness or lack of connect, connection, really. Um, but it's also it's also a tool through which you're able to communicate your message. And yeah. so, you know, would you like to get to a point where you're not on social media? You don't need it? No, I think technology is great. Okay. Uh, I think this idea of fighting against technology is a mugs game. Uh, we've created it now. It's part of our life. It's part of our, our, our everything. So make it work for you. Creating boundaries is a, a far more healthier, uh, realistic way to deal with with social media. And if you look at, right, social media, let's break it down to a bit of psychology, right? So there's a lot of psychology research on boredom. If you're a creative person, if you want to actually get that creative spark in your brain going, get bored. Because that's when creativity happens, when you get bored. So if you're creative and you find yourself sometimes being non-creative or struggling or being in that kind of where we all go, uh, whole, just try and get bored. All this, all this research just shows you that boredom is one of the best ways to get the part of your brain that deals with creativity moving. Um, and secondly, there's a company in America called the Dopamine Labs. Now, dopamine's a neurotransmitter. It's, it's closely linked to taking drugs, falling in love, eating chocolate. It's a response, but it's an anticipatory response. It's more the actual anticipation of it. Because, you know, for example, you, 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 Sunday night, you go, I want a pizza. And you're, fuck, can't wait till the pizza arrives. And you eat the pizza and it's nowhere, no near as nice as the anticipation of no. that pizza coming. And mm-hmm. then you feel shit. Um, so a dopamine's a funny one, but the dopamine labs is kind of the idea that they're trying to create that same instinct when you use your your technology. So they're trying to make, they don't even hide it. I think in their, in the headline of their website, it's like we use brain hacking techniques to make you addicted to shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what's happening with technology. Now, there's a lot of research out there and there's a lot of uh, kind of debate around whether it's an actual addictive thing. I personally think it is. I personally think that we show all the traits of addiction when you take the phone off us for a period of time. We get uncomfortable, we get a bit anxious, we get a bit shaky, we get a bit worried, we get a bit fear of missing out. We get all these different kind of responses. So whether it's... um, a kind of whatever way you frame the addiction because addiction can be used in many can be used loosely or really tightly for me I'm using it a little bit loosely here uh, I do think it's an immensely addictive uh, piece of our life that has utter utter control over many many people but I also am realistic to n- enough to know say you can't take this from people social media is part I know people who aren't on social media and actually I know a guy who was dating a girl who stopped, the girl stopped dating him because he wasn't on social media because she went, what does he have to hide? Wow. That was her mindset. And I'm like, holy shit. So now we've created this thing. The thing with social media that gets me is anxious is the outrage culture we've created. The fact that people now, and I understand this, the reason that we have this outrage culture is because people want to be part of a tribe. Mm. Tribes are really important to us. We need them. We, we need to be part of a tribe. So if we see somebody ripping somebody apart online, we're like, oh, I'm in, I'm in, now I'm part of the tribe. Like this week, I looked at some things in Ireland and people getting outraged by it. And the one reason, if you want to start using social media or using social media, you have to do two things. You need to become far more digitally literate and understand that most of this shit that we're consuming has agendas. You, we need more media literacy and we need to critically think. Stop believing the first fucking thing you read Mm -hmm. when basically we now know that most of the stuff we read is not true. And this stuff is causing huge issues to our collective and individual mental health because we're getting so outraged all the time that we don't even know why. I I had a friend who got this massive reaction to some social media post. Unbelievable. And it was just like big, 
big massive kind of like virtue signaling posts and then I knew the actual posts because I knew the person that the post was about and I knew it wasn't true and I knew it was going to come out very quickly that it wasn't true and this person's an intelligent smart person to put this big post up and I went surely you know at this stage that the majority of stuff that we consume in social media is horseshit surely you know that you have the critical thinking capacity to understand where's the source who funded it these are things we have to start looking at in social media. And now the average young person mightn't care. But if you want to, when you're in your 20s, 30s and you're looking for, you know, to get into employment and stuff like that, these are traits that we need to start learning if we want to use social media. And we have to create our own personal boundaries with this stuff. Mm-hmm. This stuff and social media generally is, it goes against all our designs for life. It goes against the fact that we spend most of our life comparing ourselves to highlight reels of other people. We end up judging ourselves over that and we, we create this negative self-talk. So I think there should be a specific therapy just around social media. Yeah. Um, and when anyone listening to this who gets overwhelmed by it, here's your fucking brother. <laughs> but we, we need to learn the tools mm. and the tools are there to learn. And these are some things I'm passionate about. So that's the first thing I would say. Start to look at critical thinking. Look at stuff and go, hmm. I wonder is that true and we have to we have to think about does our outrage warrant the reaction we have to be a lot more that's critical thinking use your outrage wisely Mm. because it can become a finite source you can get so tired of being outraged that when you really should be fucking outraged like I'm actually too tired can't do it anymore (laughs) so I think outrage is, is really important I think protesting is really important as part of democracy it's really crucial part of democracy um but I think we have to use it wisely mm-hmm. and stop getting angry until we understand the full context. Because that's the one thing with mental health that you require in, in social media. Without context, it's irrelevant. Understand the context of everything you read. So you're quite good at stepping into the space between, I guess, your thoughts and a reaction. Yeah. Which is, would you say, one of your greatest skills or one of the greatest skills we could have for managing our anxiety? In, in this world, you're the space between reaction and your response is where, as Viktor Frankl said, where all your growth comes from. Yeah. That's where your growth comes from. Your capacity just for a second to stop and go, wait. Do I want to react to this? Wait, or yeah. how will I react will to I this? React? Because what, the brain moves so fast, the limbic system and the brain stem move so fast that often we don't have the capacity to make a choice. Mm-hmm. And what I try to do with mindfulness training is to teach people that if you can, if you can just, just stop for a second, now you've created a little space and now you have a choice. So it's not just a habitual response. Yeah. And that includes how we talk about ourselves. That includes our immediate instinct to go, I'm terrible at this. I'm awful. In that space, you can you can slight little analyzing of, mm, let's think about this a little bit, a bit more clarity as we talk, get into the neocortex, which is the rational thinking, complex thinking of the part of the brain. But what happens is, and we talked about this in the podcast, is that the limbic system, which is the the kind of res- the fast response of the brain it has no capacity for rational thought no. but that's where we're operating out and of. every single thing we perceive in the world goes through the limbic system first and then hopefully gets up to the prefrontal cortex where you can say listen it's actually okay we're fine but the time it gets there unfortunately it's, yeah, it's been tainted by the time so that's at that point you've it's reacted. overwritten so what we need to do what mindfulness does is strengthens the link between the limbic system and the neocortex so it stops, it stops you just going losing your shit and then going oh my god what did I just do there? Or sending that message that you went, oh fuck, I shouldn't have sent that. Mm-hmm. You know, oh my God, why did I send that? And it stops you for a second and goes, right, what are the potential outcomes of this? Now that sounds, I, I, work, I work at athletes and they go, oh, that's going to make me slower. Ah, lad, seriously. <laughs> your, your brain, your limbic, your, like, so your neocortex works off 0.8 milliseconds mm. and your, your limbic system is, I think, 
about 75 times quicker than that. When you say neocortex, is the prefrontal cortex part of that? Yeah, it's your neocortex, the, the kind of, the new the new cortex, yeah. as they call okay. it. Because uh, I always just refer to it as prefrontal the cortex. The Stephen Fry text is what we refer to it. <laughs> yeah. That's your rational thinking and the limbic systems are DUP because it has no capacity okay. for rational thought. Uh, but it keeps you alive. And and think, look into the brain that way. And I just feel that what happened is we've, so when I say habitually instinct, it's how we've conditioned ourselves to just lose our shit first and then think later. And what I try to do with people, especially who have anxiety issues, and I work with a lot, a lot with people in, in many different settings to say, OK, in the same way I'm talking about outrage in social media, when something happens to you, having the capacity to just to, to give it that few seconds and a, a really good technique to do this. Two things you can do. Grounding is obviously really important. When, uh, asking yourself, where are my feet when something bad mm-hmm. happens? And it's not because you give a shit where your feet are. It's because in that second, you're actually asking your body a question and you're slowing the brain down. You're going, well, they're on the ground. And now yeah. all of a sudden you slow down. The other thing you can do is to, if you're anxious or angry, is to ask yourself, where in your body do you experience it? So that's where meditation becomes really powerful because you, you might go, I feel uncomfortable right now. Where do I feel it? Some people feel it in their tummies, some feel it in their chest, in their heads, their jaw, their neck. I feel it in my throat. And when I get a bit anxious or I feel like responding with potentially an unhelpful response, I immediately put my hand on my throat and I breathe and I warm around and I pretend there's a warm blue, blue kind of blue warmth and I just breathe with it. And then in that second, which is one, two, three, four seconds even, my brain has slowed down and now I have a choice to how I want to respond. And often those responses are far more helpful mm-hmm. to the outcome of what's going to happen. And they, they allow me to get into that logical thinking part of going, right. And, and this is the funny thing. I was speaking, I was at a, a silent retreat and our... And our Vipassana. I can't imagine you being silent for too long. Well, no, I'll tell you, <laughs> 10 days of it. Is, is, but my Vipassana teacher was like telling us this story at, uh, before we got in. And she was like, the, the last retreat he was on, they used to be allowed to go down to the shop every day. And that was their only way they could kind of see the outside world. And they go down to the shop and there's this girl who kept going down and this guy kept outside the shop. He was he was just somebody on lived in a small village and kept saying kind of derogatory things towards her and she didn't respond. She was completely keeping a response. She was like, you oh, know, I'm staying mindful and I'm being present momentarily. And she she kept and then the final day she turned around and goes, Go fuck yourself to him. <laughs> and everyone goes, Oh, that's not very mindful. And the Fapassan teacher goes, Well actually it was very mindful because she did that with full rational thinking. She made a choice. That was her fifth time so the first, first four times she went, no, no. So we have this hilarious capacity that people who practice mindfulness are this. It doesn't mean you're chilled all the you're time. You're not suppressing your emotions. You're not no. like not allowing for anger no. and fear and all those things. They're there. You're just being a bit more involved in which you're one you are just responding use. differently to yeah. it. You're not responding automatically. And her, her go fuck yourself was five days later. Yeah. So that was thought about. That was conscious. That was a decision she probably made the night before to go, if that bollock says that to me again, I'm going at him. Mm-hmm. But I'm doing it with full mm-hmm. awareness. And that's mindfulness. You've come such a long way. Um, what are you most proud of with the way you've turned things around for you? Um, I, 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 the thing I'm most proud of, I think, is... Not about the rest of the world or, or what's happening yeah, there, but yeah. just with you. No, I think the thing I'm most proud of is that um, only I can remember the real... Uh, only I can remember the days when, you know, that I didn't want to wash myself... I couldn't eat. I had to pull myself out of bed to go to a training pitch when I was playing. Like, it was utter darkness. It was hard. It's hard to describe. It, I didn't know what to do. And one particular day that I, I remember very clearly, and I remember, dude, there's something seriously, there's something serious 
here that I don't know what it is. I was living in London at the time and I was walking to meet a mate for dinner and it was a beautiful sunny day in London and I I was walking down this beautiful street and I, I don't know if anyone remembers or know, you all know when sometimes a little cloud goes over the sun on a sunny day and, and the, it kind of goes stark for a few seconds. Mm-hmm. That's what happened but there was no cloud there and I I actually at that point realised there's something I don't know was whether because I was so he- heavily self-medicated was there other reasons for it but something happened at that point when I went Jesus Christ this is terrifying and I, I think back to those days where you didn't think there was a way you didn't think there was anything that's going to stop this um, and I think of you know the points where um I now can appreciate, you know, something as simple as a cup of tea in the morning, which sounds like bullshit. And I also, what I'm most proud of is if that comes back, I will never give it the power over me that it had. Uh, I'll understand that my head is potentially not like everyone else's, that it does sometimes crucify me, but it allows me and what what I what I've what I'm most proud of is and now I'm allowing myself enjoy the good shit that does happen to me and lots of good stuff happens to me. Back in that day I couldn't appreciate anything. Mm. Um so I think it's just and it's a cliche to realize how far you've come, but I get very I get very in on the mom, those moments because you know, those moments were very there weren't a lot of them, but they were very, very terrifying. Mm. Um and I kind of see it now as a as I took the scenic route is the best <laughs> way to describe it the more hills more potholes but fuck me it was beautiful and would you say you're owning it now I would to a point uh, absolutely and I'd also say that um, what I'm owning most is allowing myself to have the shit days yeah. to have the anxious days to understand that life isn't a straight line mm-hmm. um, and to understand that you need to as best you can go with that and and not let it consume you all the time and I always go back to that 95 year old me if I make it that far sitting on my bed thinking about what is the shit I held on to um, and what is the shit that that I didn't enjoy and using that as a, a magnet and north star is a, a good way to to live I think and also to recognise you know in this modern culture what we've also created is this cult of positivity where we're expected to be doing Care Bears unicorns <laughs> cartwheels all the time yes it's positivity is powerful we if it's that. genuine, though, if it's, it's authentic, genuine, and and, and it, but it actually is an incredibly powerful tool to build an habitual tool that you can build in the same way we built negative responses. But it's important to recognise if you're listening to this, if you were positive all the time, you would be dead. You wouldn't have survived. <laughs> Negativity and caution and anxiety and stress is essential parts the design of our brain. It is an essential part of the mechanisms of our brain. It's kept you alive. It's a brilliant alarm system. It can sometimes overwhelm you. So. If, if you're not positive all the time, could. If you're positive a good bit of the time, deadly. But stop crucifying yourself to go around thinking that life is meant to be perfect. It absolutely isn't. And if it was, we wouldn't actually be here and we wouldn't have survived all this time. Mm-hmm. And you have. Brezzy, thank you so much for joining me on Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast. I have loved hearing everything that you've had to say and I know it's going to be just so helpful for everyone listening. And of course, if they haven't yet, please go to Where Is My Mind podcast and can they look forward to some more live events? Yes, uh, pretty soon, I hope. I'll be announcing them all. Um, I'll stay in touch with everybody. So just go on nilebreslin.com and you will find all the details. Thank you. Thank you.
Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.